You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. As we record on Monday, September 20th, following Virginia Tech's tough loss to West Virginia on Saturday. On episode 192 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, we're going to go through the the loss for Virginia Tech against West Virginia, the red zone struggles, the defense bouncing back, and what this this loss means going forward for Virginia Tech. All that and more coming up on episode 192 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. This is episode 192 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. You can visit southeastrtc.com to donate and learn more today about one of the fastest growing and best wrestling programs in the country, trying to get Olympic hopefuls to Blacksburg. Again, southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today. I'm Jake Lyman, your host. We want to welcome you in if you are listening on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. If you are watching live on the YouTube Please like, comment, and subscribe and drop a question for Will and Chris in the chat below. We'll get those at the end of the show. Today, again, our usual crew, Will Stewart across the way, our founder and general manager. To my left, the lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline, Chris Coleman. Behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land. And the man in the chair to my right today, Nick Brown, as always. Welcome you in here, episode 192 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Virginia Tech losing to West Virginia on Saturday, first loss of the season. Will, I want to start with you. You had a maybe a more fun weekend than everybody else here. Uh, what, what'd you do? So I spent the weekend at the Bristol races. Uh, got there Thursday night, camped, and went to the Xfinity race on Friday and the uh, Cup race on Saturday. And if you haven't seen... Uh, the finish to the Xfinity race in particular was outstanding. It wound up with two cars sliding across the finish line at the end. It was awesome. Uh, so uh, wound up in a suite. Buddy, buddy of mine works for PNC Bank, so he, uh, he, he got some nice suite passes. Wound up in a suite with uh, Mike Helton, I believe is his name. Uh, president of NASCAR, can you check that, Nick? I'm pretty sure Mike Helton's over here. At least he used to be the president of NASCAR. Yeah, if you Google president of NASCAR, you get a different name, but then if you look Mike up, it says he's president. So anyway, so <laughs> so he was in the booth I was in, and he's got a, a couple of brothers that went to Virginia Tech and graduated in 82 and 84. And he's, he's very self-deprecating. He's like, I wasn't smart enough to go to Tech, you know, and I think he did okay in his career. What do you think? You <laughs> I know? was in the NASCAR offices one time in Charlotte getting a tour of them. We go all the way up to the top floor, and my friend who worked for NASCAR was like, oh, there's the NASCAR president's office right there. So I guess that was Mike Helton's office. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's, uh, 
He's an introvert. Nice guy, but an introvert. The race starts, and, and I know he's got race responsibilities, but he, he opens up his laptop and he looks at his laptop the whole race and, and isn't a really super chatty guy, not in that kind of setting anyway. Uh, let's see. Also wound up on an elevator with uh, Kyle Petty. Got to meet Kyle oh. Petty briefly. So, you know, to bring this back around to Virginia Tech football, um, that's, let's see, of course, the first time I ever went to Bristol Motor Speedway was the 2016 game against Tennessee. And then I went back last year for uh, the spring or fall race. I honestly don't remember. You know, COVID was a thing and there was hardly anybody there. So my buddy Jeff and I watched that race. And uh, I didn't notice this the last time, but I noticed this this past weekend when I was there. They very much embraced the football game as part of the history of the Speedway. Wow. So talking about being on the elevator with, with Kyle Petty, when the elevator doors close – there's a picture of the football game. You know, it's it's a it's a portrait picture that shows Tech and Tennessee on the field. And and like, you know, most football stadiums have that that ring of honor or whatever. Well, BMS has the same thing, only only what they commemorate is big uh, moments in Speedway history. And the most recent one they've put up is the they put up that they uh, added Colossus in 2016, the huge video board, and then right next to that is uh college football's biggest ever Virginia Tech versus Tennessee back in 2016. So it's very much a part of the history of Bristol Motor Speedway. And then BMS does a fantastic job of of commemorating their history. I love walking up down the halls where the suites are. And they've got some of the most amazing pictures of, of past races and stuff like that. So, again, to bring it back around to football, um, once the cup fans really started coming in on Saturday, the internet went away. So <laughs> I did get to watch the game. There, there was a guy uh, tailgating right next to us with uh, Dish Network. So I got to watch the game. But as far as being able to get on Twitter or anything like that, that disappeared right around halftime Saturday and didn't come back till Sunday morning when everybody left the campground. So. That was my uh, that was my weekend. Some of it Virginia Tech relevant, some of it not. <laughs> well, it may have been better to be able to watch the game and not get on Twitter uh, with the way things went. Virginia Tech storming all the way back was down twenty seven to fourteen late in that one. Hokies seemed to be out it, of it. It, it was twenty seven seven. Well, twenty seven seven really late in the third. Twenty seven fourteen with I want to say five minutes left in the game and Virginia Tech comes all the way back. Jermaine Waller, a huge interception, set up the Hokies with a chance to win it. Could not come through. And that leads us to where the story of the game really was. Red zone struggles. Yeah. Virginia Tech had three trips inside the 10 and left with zero points all three times. I, and the really, the blame has been placed on the play calling, which we've seen in some of those plays. But Chris, I want to ask you, where did the Hokies really go wrong on those three trips? I'm not, I can count on the, on one hand the number of people who, in my opinion, are actually qualified to talk about play calling. Yeah. And, and I'm not one of them. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to talk about play calling. Other than to say, I thought the third down play call was really good. The, uh, the, throw, the throwback? The throw, well, what was going to be a throwback, but yeah. somebody blew a block and it forced Burmeister to spin. And to, and Sorry, Lucita Smith. I have to say it was you. Oh, I don't know that. I don't know that that, that was. Well, uh, you know. Well, uh, it depends he, upon responsibility. He, he, he came between Lucita Smith and Luke Tenuta, and sometimes those roll out slash throwback plays, you let the end man free yeah. because uh, he shouldn't be able to get there in time before before the play develops. Yep. So that could have been either one. Yeah. But it was one of them, for sure. 
Um, but that was a well-designed play, and Trey Turner came wide open. But he came open when Burmeister was spinning to avoid the defensive lineman. Yeah. And by the time he got fully spun and got his eyes back up the old and readjusted, the window had closed. And, and um, there, there were a number of plays like that, not just at the goal line, but where, where something was developing in the passing game, but Burmeister didn't have time. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, generally speaking, Virginia Tech's offense, before they got to the red zone, improved tremendously in this game. Yeah. Um, West Virginia, I don't think Tech fans respect West Virginia's defense, probably because West Virginia's in the Big 12 and they're not thought of as a defensive powerhouse. Last year, West Virginia finished fourth in the country in total defense. At home, they finished first in total defense. They went undefeated at home last year. They only allowed 228 yards per game at home last year, and they only allowed 12 points per game. Those are incredible numbers. Those are, I they mean, are, those are elite numbers. Yes. Those are, those are Bud Foster nineteen ninety five right, right. numbers. So Tech, so, so yeah. Tech scored twenty one on them, and they put up three hundred twenty some yards, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's way, it's like double, not double, but way better than what everybody did against them last year, including yeah. like, including uh, TCU. Uh, I think they beat Kansas State, who was ranked sixteenth at the time, by twenty seven. Mm-hmm. And K State only scored ten points. I mean, that's a really good defense at home. Um, so Tech improved, generally speaking, until they got to the red zone. But the red zone issues have been an issue, were an issue for Tech the first two games. Also, like they had to really struggle to get that second touchdown against North Carolina. If you, if you recall, they threw the deep ball to Trey Turner down the sideline that was completed, and then after that, it, things just kind of stagnated. And it took an amazing throw and an amazing catch. To Mitchell yep. to, to make that, but again, that's that's an area of the field where you miss James James Mitchell. Um, I think losing Mitchell, um, and we'll we'll get into this, but you know Burmeister apparently not being allowed to keep the ball on on the read option this year, or which actually means it's not even a read option at all. It's just a regular handoff disguised as a read option. You know that takes away two of your best options in in the red zone. Well. And that was where I wanted to go. The play that's being called out a lot is mm-hmm. the jet sweep on third down the second time the Hokies were in the red zone. So that was when they were trying to go in to make right. it 27-21 at that point late in the game. And jet sweep to Trey Turner. And then, did, right. And did that, Bur- that was that was third and six, third and goal from third and the goal six. From the six. And it was into the boundary. And, and another right. subtlety I noticed about that, that the, one of the lead blockers out front was Raheem Blackshear. Mm-hmm. You know, not to criticize Blackshear. He's not exactly a big guy. And, and WVU had just piled up on it. Right. Well, and it just seemed like West Virginia had already overloaded to the short side of the field. There was right. nowhere to go with the football so you believe that Burmeister just didn't have the ability to pull it because if, if that was a read and he could have made that play, it could have been a touchdown. He hasn't kept on a read option all year. That's true. Um, and this is a guy who kept on a lot of read options last year. was very comfortable running Very read good option. at it, yeah. Uh, so a fifth-year senior just doesn't inexplicably forget how to run the read option, right? Very, so that's something he's been doing his whole life, not just at Virginia Tech, but at yeah. Oregon and high school. And everything. Very, very early in this game, he did put the football in the belly of a running back and then bootleg around the end. That could have been designed. I don't know if it's a read option okay. or not. I'm not arguing with you. Right. He's definitely not keeping the yeah, ball. Yeah. Um, he, he kept it on the touchdown against UNC, but I went back and watched that play this morning, and I don't think – like he kept the ball in, in Holston's belly and then ran it in himself. But Holston like had his arms out here like he was never expecting the handoff at all. So I actually think that was a busted was play. A, and okay. he just 
pulled it out and had nothing else to do so we ran it in and there happened to be a hole there right um so yeah they're, they're protecting what what a lot of people are starting to believe me riley hokey if you're an old school tech sideline subscriber you remember him um I, even french from the key place said it on twitter this weekend like they're protecting what appears to be an injured throwing shoulder otherwise there there's there, there's no reason for him to be keeping the ball pretty much every single time um, for him to be handing it off excuse me excuse time. me yeah, yeah yeah i mean uh especially when that that's one of his strengths you, you know as a coach you don't tell a player no you're really good at this so we don't want you to do it yeah. right uh so there so, so something, something's up there so, you know? something is definitely up so there so there was a message board this discussion this morning about the windmilling of the arm mm-hmm. he's always doing this yes. with his arm and so people are saying they've seen him do it all season mm-hmm. i've mainly seen him do it with the i don't i'm not I, sure i've ever seen the left arm i've only seen the right arm myself but and and other people are like no no i've seen him do it with both arms so some something Either we're all making this up in our heads, <laughs> or something's, but, or something's but, going on. Well, there. <laughs> you know, the th- it's just it's it's not necessarily the windmilling. Uh, that that's when I first started thinking about it. But yeah. it's it's the fact that you know he's not keeping it on read options, yeah. and he's a guy who would and, absolutely. And that's keep a it. weapon. That's a right, total right, weapon. right. And you would not do that for any other reason unless he was injured or yeah. or, or, or somehow, because uh, that was a major major weapon. Uh, for them last year when he was on the field and and he's such a good runner i mean he's one of the best running quarterbacks tech has ever had yeah there there there's no it's like i mean that third and 24 was like tyrod on third 31 man and it's like you you wouldn't tell tyrod taylor to never keep the ball there's still a jock sitting on the field i believe yes right (laughs) yeah well and that's that's kind of the thought there is that he's not pulling it on the read option but on that scramble on third and long he lays out to get to the sticks there mm-hmm. it's it it seems like if they're protecting him maybe they're not doing a very well, good job yeah, of it scrambles is is are what they are once you get going you know you're you're going to take a hit to a certain extent and you've got to lay out there and try to get the first down i mean you've already run 22 yards you might as well dive and get two more but yeah. it's it, they, they want to limit it as much as possible is what it seems like um I think maybe they probably should have taken the shackles off there at the end with the game on the line. Because, um, you know, it's West Virginia is a very disciplined football team. Uh, very very disciplined defensive. In their assignments. In their right. assignments. Uh, they attack. They're, it seemed like it's really diff- they were really difficult to fool. Um, Tech, Tech did some things as far as pulling offensive linemen on passing plays. And one of the reasons you do that is because linebackers – or taught to read the first step. So, so yeah, let me jump because I brought this up on the message yes, board yes. and and was and and learned something. So I watched a play where um, it was a pass play. Mm-hmm. Virginia Tech's offensive line crashed to the left, and Lasita Smith rolled from his left guard position out to the end. And the problem is at number twelve for WVU. Uh, he wasn't you pointed out in that message board thread sometimes you do that it looks like a running play yeah. and you're trying yeah. to get it, the linebackers to commit well, to the run i'll say all right i spent part of a season playing an inside linebacker role in high school and really really the only thing i remember about it was uh 
I think everybody assumes you're a linebacker. You're sitting there watching. Where's the running back go? That's where I'm going. No. As a linebacker, a lot of times you're taught to read the first step of the offensive guard is your play key to whether it's a run or a pass. So when you see an offensive guard take that first step like he's going to pull, you're supposed to assume it's going to be a run play and you attack the gap like a run. And a lot of times that can that can leave open spaces over the middle of the field. Yeah. Uh, so that's why you see some teams do that. They pull their offensive guard in, in, in a passing situation to throw off the reads of the linebackers and slow them down. Uh, but number 12, not, not that he's a linebacker, but, he's defensive. No, he, he was coming no, all the no, way. Nobody on West Virginia bid on that. Like I say, they're an exceptionally disciplined defense. Yeah. So uh, – a lot of the deception that Tech normally runs on offense did not work against them. Yeah. Um, my only criticism of West Virginia's defense was if you go back and you look at the Blackshear touchdown and in particular the Holston touchdown, yes. mm-hmm. that was some terrible tackling. It sure was. It yeah. was. Yeah. You know. yeah. Other than that, I thought they played a good game and they tackled well early, which set the tone. Right. And so that's something I wanted to kind of get off my chest early in the podcast is – you know, the, the way games start is so important, and everybody's like, oh, Tech wasn't ready to play. What I saw was in the first five plays, West Virginia went deep twice. The very first play of the game, yeah. it was incomplete. He was open. Yeah, he was. Boy, was he open. And then they went deep on the fifth play for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Deep was, I think, 35 yards. You know? Well, it was in the end zone, so that was as deep as they could go, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so so in, in those five plays, they stretched the defense. And right. if you go back and you look at Virginia Tech's early play calling, it's, it's, uh, it's jet sweeps and, and not, not even middle screens or tunnel screens, but screens out to the side. All this lateral stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I personally, you know, I don't know the philosophy behind that. I don't know what the offensive game plan is, what they're doing. I, I personally have disliked that kind of stuff for almost 30 years. And here's what it goes back to. 1992, when Tech was not good that year. I don't remember who they're playing, but they're trying to break in Maurice DeShazo. That's, that's his first time playing. you know. And I remember one game in particular where – the offense was just weak. It was all this dinky stuff running laterally. And, and this is 30 years ago when it was all about power football up the middle. They were just they were having Maurice throw safe passes over here and over here. And, and it was driving me nuts. And then he twisted an ankle or something had to leave the game. They bring in Treg Cole, backup quarterback, like 6'4", big, huge dude. Very first play, bomb down the middle. Now, it's incomplete, but I remember the fans in the stands just the, the sarcastic applause because they finally attacked deep down the field. So I've just, Well, you know Maurice didn't have much of an arm, right? Oh, I know. I know. It's just it, – and, and they're not showing much of an arm with Burmeister either, so it's a lot of this lateral stuff trying to fool you, and WVU's coming in and slashing and making tackles and getting excited. So that's kind of – that sets the tone early of – we're going to try to fool you, whereas WVU is like, we're coming after you. Well, and could that be something, if Burmeister is injured, that they don't feel comfortable taking as many shots downfield, that they want to give him those safe, easy passes? I mean, it could be. Uh, I, I, did a little, I did a little research this morning on shoulder injuries, uh, and I, I, I wasn't able to come up with anything about quarterback accuracy and things like that. It can't help. I mean, uh, I remember when I sprained my AC joint, like, if I had my, you can only, if you're watching the podcast, you'll be able to understand this. But if you're listening, you're not, and I apologize. But I couldn't raise my arm up to shoulder length 
if I had my arm pointed to the outside. But when I had my arm pointed straight ahead, I could. I could yeah. raise it normally. Okay. So a lot of times when you have a shoulder injury, how much pain you're in determ- is determined by arm angle and things like that. So uh, I got something going on like that right now. Right. Moving a refrigerator back in May, yeah. I so, did something to my shoulder, and you're right. I, I, I cannot go back from here. So, so, you, so you, will, you will change. You will naturally, as a human being, to avoid pain, you will slightly change your arm angle and motion just to avoid that pain, which does impact your accuracy. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's going to be there someplace, and it's going to be not be there other place, just depending on the angle of the pass and, and everything. It's going to be kind of random, I think. So, so I, I do think that has something to do with it. I mean, we saw Burmeister in the preseason, and he was pushing the ball down the wheel, down the field fine. That, yeah. was a, that was a point I made in the preseason as he looked really good throwing the ball down the field. Yeah. Well, and the two plays back-to-back were was that first red zone trip at the end of the first half, both to Tavion Robinson. One was low, one was high, but he was open both times. I think mm-hmm. that was where – we first kind of got a little glimpse of that. Okay, maybe the, the low one. The low one was tipped. It was, you know, the the, the 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 TV guy said that, and I watched it over and over. And I thought I saw it. Uh, See, know. I didn't. I didn't have volume, so but so I just thought I saw it. I it looked it. like it may have been tipped, but I still think it would have been low, even if it wasn't. It it didn't look like a great pass either way. I, I did not see the ball significantly change its trajectory, yes. and it looked to me like it was still a spiral. So, but you're talking about two passes right down the middle. Maybe he's yeah. struggling with that sort of throw. But then again, the throw to Tavion that went for went for a touchdown was zing right yes. down the middle. Good throw. So it it seems like it's been inconsistent, which would be something that you're saying that it could be that arm angle it did not on where it, it comes out he was very accurate when the two practices we saw him yeah. in the preseason uh and he threw the ball downfield well i i mean I, if there's something wrong with it which they'll never say by the way because if you just tell the other team oh the quarterback's take got an, it please shoulder, take yeah. shots at him right yeah. um if it, if, it, if it is injured, it most likely occurred during the UNC game. Um, you know, one of our subscribers noted on the board yesterday that at some point during the UNC game, he saw Tech's backup quarterbacks warming up on the sideline. And uh, he, like, first half, he nailed Trey Turner on that deep ball down the sideline. Yeah. It was perfect. That was a sweet throw. Yeah. And so, like, and then in this, and in the second half, you know, of that game, Tech's mm-hmm. offense just dropped off after moving up and down the field easily. In the first half, uh, I did some research on shoulder injuries this morning, and I think this is for NFL only. Eighty-one point five percent of shoulder injuries occur during a game, and I imagine that number is higher in college because quarterbacks run the ball more yeah. in college. So, I mean, it's, if, if it is injured, it probably happened during the UNC game, is, is what it sounds like to me. All, all the evidence points to that. So we have no hard evidence, but we just have a lot of. Uh... I don't, yes. want to, I don't want to say conspiracy theory type stuff, uh, c- circumstantial <laughs> right, supportive right. of this, yeah. Well, and it didn't make it any easier that Silas Danzi goes down oh, yeah. and was seen with a walking boot on the sideline. Brock Hoffman eventually is moved over to right tackle, and you're also yeah. missing James Mitchell, who's a great blocking tight end. So. That, that's, my con- that, that's my concern coming out of the game. I, I, I didn't learn anything else about Virginia Tech offensively in that game. Uh, I, I thought they were struggling in the red zone before, and they did again. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't really learn anything new there, uh, except for, oh, my gosh, with Silas Janzi out of the game. I mean, 
Ty, Tyrell that's, Smith. That's a big drop off. I, I love Tyrell Smith. He's a great hokey, but he's not as big, strong, quick as, as Silas Janzi over there. Um, so that's a physical drop off. And Brock Hoffman, um, I don't think he's been great at center this year, uh, but it's not fair to any center to ask them to go out to the edge and block quick and defensive ends. It's, yeah. it's just not not that's not what they're built for. That's not how centers are built. So hopefully. Janzi is okay. He was in a walking boot after the game. Um, please, my God, do not throw him out there against Richmond <laughs> and, and let him re-injure it. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I will go nuts if they do that. Uh, you've got a great opportunity here. Again, I don't know the extent of the injury. For all I know, it's something horrible and it requires surgery and it's a moot point. But if it's a sprain or something like that, then you've got Richmond and then the bye week. Take advantage of it. Three weeks between West Virginia and the Notre Dame game, so exactly. plenty yeah, of time yeah. for, for him to recover. Do you think that Hoffman at tackle is something they may work with this week, or do you think maybe uh, they throw a younger guy at right tackle like Parker Clements? Uh, I mean, I would start Tyrell Smith there, Okay, personally. Huh. Um, now, you, you could you could throw Hoffman over there and make it a competition and see who which one plays the best in practice. That, that, that would be an option. Um, but I, Tyrell is not a physically – dominant player over there and i know he had a couple false start penalties too but i think he's less likely to get your quarterback killed yeah um so looking through the preliminary pff grades pro football focus grades um there there really is no task or unit on the offense that acquitted itself well Mm -hmm. they they've been grading out so the the the, the way pff works played a good game Yes. Um, well, I'm talking about like just pure grades. The, the unit as a whole, okay. not not yeah. individual players. Right. Um, so so grades in the 60s and 70s are, are okay. 80s and, and 90s uh, are 60, really good. 60 is baseline. Yeah. Smack dab average. So you so you get yeah. below a 60 and it gets kind of rough. And the offense yeah. as a whole is graded out in the 70s for the first two games, and they graded out as a, as a 56 in this game. Yeah. And then when you go down run blocking, pass blocking, both in the 50s, the receivers got a grade of 60-something, but everything else is down in the 50s. So this was a really rough game for the offense relative to the first couple yeah, of games. And, of the, and the thing is, like, I think, I think they improved for the most part considering the level of competition, but the level of competition is going to drive that grade down. Yeah, so much yes. of your grade is dependent on the team you're playing. Yeah. And that was just, uh, you know, Middle Tennessee, I think, is a well-coached team, but, you know, they're a Conference USA team in the end. Uh, North Carolina is a good team, not so good defensively. They're a talented team, they're but ta- just not, yes. not, not, not – They're not West Virginia tough on If defense. you watch we'll the North Carolina-Virginia game, oh you know their defense gosh. isn't great. It's that whole – the sum – what is it? The whole is less than the sum of the yeah, parts. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And that's – I only remember two tough UNC defenses in my life. One in 1997 and one in 2009. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. But that, that's another conversation for another time. Yeah. But, uh, I gotta, again, I, I just uh, – I, I, I'm not really – like I'm not going to throw the towel in on the season. Ultimately, like Virginia Tech this year, they're 2-1. and one. They are one and zero in games in which they were favored, and they are one and one in games in which they were the underdog. They 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 lost by six points on the road to a team that went unbeaten at home last year and had the number one home defense in the country. That's not something in itself to be worried about. Uh, The worrisome thing to come out of the game is is all the walking wounded. Injuries are starting to pile up. Yeah. Uh, So it's 
I wish Tech could have played that last drive with James Mitchell on the field, with Silas Janzi on the field, and, and with Raheem Blackshear on the field. Um, Blackshear, to me, is like, who are your players who are like most likely to score a touchdown? Yeah. To me, he's he's one of them. He and Mitchell are are, are certainly two of those. Yeah. You know, so and when you so when you're in the red zone and you're without arguably your two guys who are most likely to score a touchdown, makes it a lot more difficult to score. Um, you know, not not that I think there was like great play calling, in particular the jet sweep to the boundary <laughs> on third down. Uh, that's I don't have a problem with that call in general, but West Virginia is such a disciplined defense that yeah. they're unlikely to fall for something like and, that. And there, and there were on the on the last possession inside the ten, there were a couple of play calls that preceded the third down where they just they just ran up the middle. Right. But you know they had just run up the middle twice before that and, and picked worked. up something like thirteen well, to fifteen. Well, you, you know what they were doing there. Uh, they were. It's always that balancing act when you're about to score towards the end of games. Like, you don't want to leave West Virginia with a minute 30 on the clock. Needing a field goal to win. Right, right. right. Um, uh, With a quarterback who, for his career, has thrown for a lot of yards, and they've got a good group of wide receivers. So there's always that balancing. I mean, I think the first two play calls were about running clock, and if one of them happened to get in, you get in. Um, but, and that's, I mean, I was watching the game with Riley Hokey, and I said to him, I was like, all right, we need to score, but we don't need to score too quick. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was yeah. saying that during the game. So I'm not going to criticize him for something that I would have done, too. Yeah. And going back to the jet sweep, I want to say that I think the jet sweep call has gotten such a negative connotation under Brad Cornelson. I don't think the jet sweep in general is a bad call. It's but not. Yeah. In that spot, it probably isn't the way. And I think, I think Brad Cornelson probably going back, if he, when he watches it back, probably would say the same thing that maybe that wasn't the right call yeah, well and, and his and his option down there is is trey turner and trey's just not a physical guy like you go back to one of the very like, early plays in the game he got run down from behind and and the, and the defensive lineman literally grabbed him with one hand on the jersey and right. tackled him with yeah one i remember hand, that yeah you know and so it's you'd like to have james mitchell down there near the goal line you're your most physical guy that can run that trey's trey's not a real tackle breaker yeah he's he's not uh Unless it was against UVA last year on the jet sweep on the goal line. But that's UVA defense. They just gave up 59. So. <laughs> um, not quite West Virginia's defense. Uh, to me, it's it's not – I don't – in a vacuum, I don't think the jet sweep's a bad call. And we, in fact, we ran a huge series of articles proving that it's a good call. Generally, it's a good play. I don't think it's necessarily a great call against West Virginia because of how disciplined their defense is. Yeah. That's – Sometimes you have to. Sometimes it's as much about your opponent as it is you. Well, and before we take our break here, one of the conversations we had last week was about replacing James Mitchell, finding a playmaker. Standing out to me was Tavion Robinson. I thought he had yeah. a couple of big plays in that game, and maybe if that can continue, he can be that guy the Hokies can rely on for those he, chunk plays. He appears to be Tech's best receiver. Um, and my, my biggest issue with the whole offense is, uh, you know, they're four star receivers. Tavion and Trey were very, very good as freshmen, but the pr- progression for both of them has been limited since then. They're both uh, – I think Tavion's improved a little bit more, but generally speaking, their, their improvement, their progression as players, their development as players has not been as strong as the development of Virginia Tech's players at other positions. I mean, you look up and down the line at all these positions and you see guys that have gotten a lot better since they were freshmen to the end of their careers. Yeah. and. 
I don't think you can say the same for those guys. Um, we've we've talked about this on the podcast right. before, and I, I think that's what holds Tech's offense back more than anything. Um, my my opinion on Cornelson is is you know I mean I've I've studied the the efficiency stats and everything like that and been watching it for five years. I don't think he's a great offensive coordinator. I don't think he's a horrible one. I think he's made us better. Um, I think he was a better offensive coordinator when his wide receivers coach who is now the Alabama's wide receivers coach, was on the staff. Uh, and Tech's receivers were getting more separation and right. things like that. Uh, Trey got more separation when he was a freshman than he's doing now. I mean, his pat grade in the passing game on Saturday was, as a senior against West Virginia, when he should be at his peak, was like a 56.2. He, he just He's not beating defensive backs. Um and that, but and, there, he's not big enough. But there are situations where the, you know, I don't disagree with you, but there are situations where the receivers are getting open and, and Burmeister's not seeing them. And I talked in the message board this morning about a play. I remember it was a, it was a third and five, and I think it was Tavion. Uh, West Virginia was in a zone. Tavion <coughs> ran the five yards to the marker, turned around, and Burmeister yeah. just never saw him. I don't know what Burmeister's read on that is. I don't know, you know, where's he looking, where's he supposed right. to be going. We don't know any of these things. Um, it's not like the receivers are running open free everywhere, but there are times where they get open and they're not seen. So it's those two things working together. Right. Well, and having James Mitchell on those red zone series, you feel like maybe they at least get in on one when you have a threat like that down there as well. So yeah. for Virginia Tech red zone struggles, that was the story on Saturday against West Virginia. We're going to take a break here on episode 192 of the Tech Sideline podcast. When, we're, when we come back, we're going to talk about Jermaine Waller getting his third pick in three games and the biggest one yet to set up the Hokies with a chance to win it. We're going to look at where we stand with this Hokies team after their first loss of the season and how they can use the next two weeks to get ready for Notre Dame in Lane Stadium. Stay with us here on episode 192 of the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. We'll be right back. We welcome you back on episode 192 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, recapping Virginia Tech's loss to West Virginia back on Saturday. Jake Lyman, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes, and Nick Brown to our right. He's checking on your YouTube questions, so make sure you drop those in the chat for Will and Chris. He'll also have updates from Justin Fuente's weekly press conference, which starts in less than half an hour at 1130. We've already gone through a lot of the negative stuff from Saturday's game, so I think it's time maybe to look at the positive. Uh, a lot of fight from the Hokies team. They were down, probably called out of it multiple times, and still found a way to get within three yards of winning that game. Uh, a lot of grit from the team, if you want to use what's on the front of the helmet. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was twenty. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was twenty-seven to seven with eight minutes to go, third quarter. West Virginia kicked a field goal on their first drive of the, yeah. of the third they, they quarter. They held the ball for about yeah. six, six and a half minutes. Oh, and at that point, I was like, man, we're only have the ball like two or three times this whole half. And, and I was just thinking shades of you know Pitts blown Tech out a few times up up in Pittsburgh and in, mm. in, in the last few years and. Um, it was it was looking pretty grim, you know. And then I think after that, WV only had another like fifty yards of offense after yep. that. Yeah, they finished with three seventy three, and eighty came on their second play from scratch. Yeah, they had two seventy in the first half, and then they had about another fifty or sixty in that first possession of the second right. half, and then barely did anything after yeah. that. Yeah. Well, 
And you may have counted them out then, 27-7, to 7, starting to look bad. And then 27-14, to 14, and Virginia Tech turns it over on downs inside the 10 mm-hmm. with, I want to say, six, seven minutes to go. Mm-hmm. It seemed like they were out of it again and still found a way back into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, 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 were, they were a calm team, I think. And, and if you're not calm in situations like that, you're, you're not going to come back for sure. Um, it was not an auspicious start by the defense. Um, but they did obviously improve throughout the course of the game. There's three plays I'd like to have back defensively. Um, obviously, the 80-yard touchdown run. Yeah. And that was a situation yeah. where it looked like when West, West Virginia sit their man in motion, like two Tech defenders went with it, which, which left a gap. Can't be open. right. <laughs> right, right, right. Which, I mean, and I think I don't want – Whoever the guilty party was, I think it might have been Dax, but I don't know. Well, um, well, yeah, Dax and the safety both went over. Both went and over. And then that yeah. only left Tisdale, and Tisdale went into Tisdale. the wrong gap. Well, he went into his own gap in the back. <laughs> uh, yeah, and there was just so gotta, there was just nobody there for to to cover the other gap. And yeah. generally speaking, when you see like an eighty-yard touchdown run in football up the middle, it's not because. Like the offensive line just went up there and physically brutalized. It's it's because somebody just went in the wrong direction and just left a huge yeah. hole there. It's it's funny though. You're right. I'm sure Tisdale was playing his assignment. Oh, perfectly. I'm sure he was. <laughs> it's yeah. not his job to, yeah, cover, to cover the other person. Yeah, yeah. 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 Center just took Tisdale out of the play. Yeah, I mean, right. that was... um, and then let's see, the Chamari Connor tackle attempt on third down yeah where he just tried to level the dude and the guy bounced off of it and picked up a first down just wrap the man up and bring him down yeah now at the same time Shamari also forced a fumble later in the game by doing the exact, the exact same, same technique <laughs> yeah i know but i still hate that that's i hate it um well we sit here and we talk about shoulder injuries and, and i don't know yeah uh i and then the other one was there was a third and 12 play where Nasir Peoples just didn't drop deep enough in his zone, and Daigie put it over his head on a little corner. It was third and yes. ten, and that was a thirty-yard completion. Tech rushed three, put right. eight yeah, back he had in all zone. The time. Right, 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 right. And and that was everything else was covered up, and there was no. That's something you learn as a defensive back through more experiences. Certain down and distances, if there's nobody in front of you, then you keep backing up. You know, you take away that passing yeah. window. Yeah. Um, so I didn't. So my other thing, talking about the defenses, and, and and I didn't get a chance to listen to any of the post game interviews. But Hamill, Justin Hamilton does do new post game interviews anyway, right? No. Uh, so I'm I'm just wondering about rushing three and four guys against an immobile quarterback. If you had told me before the game that they were going to sack Burmeister six times, and Tech was going to sack Daggy once, yeah, I I'd have said, yeah, that's not right, right. And I, I do want to talk about this again go back and talk about this it wasn't all the offensive line and pass protection i mean jalen holston missed a bad oh, one gosh, too. That, he was did. Bad. That, that was yeah. rough but what, what, whatever the cause of it um uh, a quarterback with burmeister's mobile ability doesn't need to be getting sacked six times he got a lot of it was just he he just got swallowed up quickly you know yeah now there were some plays where, where the pass blocking was good you know, um, but they they were just few and far between. Um, let's see. David Cunningham sent us a text. He said, "Good Pat Cop, bleh, good podcast so far. I think Caleb Smith deserves a mention at receiver, and he's right. Caleb yeah, Smith does over. Yes, Caleb Smith is the receiver. He Caleb Smith's gotten himself big and strong, so he's able to deal with more physical coverage." Um, Trey's the same size as he was as a true freshman. Well, that so, WVU back defensive back was grabbing him. Yeah, on that one and play, st- and he still made still catch. made the catch. Right, exactly. So, like to get 
you've got to hit the weight room hard at this level to get the most out of your ability. Yeah. And like I think if Trey was 200 pounds or instead of 190, he'd yeah. be a better football player. But, and there was another one, you know, everybody's like, oh, we didn't throw to the middle of the field at all. Yeah, yeah, they did early on. Uh, Smith, you know, crossed the middle yeah. for about a 10 to 14 yard gain. Yeah. And and he's a big enough guy that uh, nobody likes going across the middle. Nobody but he's a big it. enough guy that he can do it. <laughs> Well, on third down, it seemed like Caleb Smith was the go-to guy, and which you may down. not have expected. Yeah, fourth down That's as right. well. That's yeah. right. Yeah, so, yeah, he had a good game. He did. Uh, looking back at defense, the big play for the Hokies, obviously, was Jermaine Waller intercepting the play on third down. <laughs> three for three. That's, that's And there weren't just like, oh, here's an interception, the quarterback misread the coverage, or it got tipped. I mean, those were, those were three elite-level mm-hmm. intercept, interceptions by Jermaine Waller. I'm sad that this one was wasted. Yeah. But what a play. It, it was unbelievable. And By the way, did you catch at the end of that play? That WVU guy blasted him out of nowhere. Him. He got uh, annihilated. Yeah, well, you never saw him coming. It's a good yeah. thing he held on to the ball. Yeah. Well, what does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if Jermaine Waller wasn't already, it seems like he's putting himself in maybe first-round draft pick contention like Caleb Farley last year. Yeah. I mean, three picks in three games, and it's not like these have been just – Sitting like right said, at him. Yeah. He's making plays He's making every plays. single game. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't uh, think, as much as we complain about our offensive coordinator, I don't think on third and long at the end of the game when you're trying to pick up a first down, you want to throw the ball anywhere in Jermaine Waller's general direction. They should not. You can argue they yeah. shouldn't have been throwing the football at all. I mean, well, it's back. Gosh, you see coordinators do things a lot that I'm like, what? I'm like, I remember back in 2019 when – UNC kept they just kept throwing at Caleb Farley right I remember half, that and I'm like what yeah. are you doing <laughs> <laughs> are you really that well coached mm-hmm. I'm not you know I don't know I think everybody can complain about their offensive coordinator to a certain extent right it's a bad play call if it doesn't work right it's true and looking at Virginia Tech's defensive coordinator maybe didn't look as good in the first half and we mentioned last week that Tech had pretty much been mistake free there wasn't a whole lot of issues on either side of the ball that didn't last in the first half of the, this game, obviously in a 14 nothing hole early, but Justin mm-hmm. Hamilton's group really made good halftime adjustments and seemed to be much better. Yeah, I just think they, I'm not an X's and O's guy, but I, I think maybe he probably made some kind of adjustment there maybe, but you know, I just think for the most part they started playing better. I think that's that's part of it too. Um, I was, You know, you don't like the way they started the game, but over four quarters of football they allowed 373 yards which would have ranked 34th in the country last year in road defense. Uh, CFBstats.com is awesome because you can yeah. sort on home and road <laughs> and against power five teams and everything like that. So 373 yards in 2019, excuse me. I'm not counting last year because last year there weren't home crowds and things like that, so it's hard to judge. But uh, in 2019, that would have ranked 34th in the country in total defense on the road. And only tw- – and they – Forced two turnovers, and only 12 teams in the country averaged two forced turnovers per game on the road in 2019. As a comparison, the LSU defense in 2019 gave up 425 yards per game on the road and only forced 1.5 turnovers per game on the road. And they won the national championship. Uh, Tech's defense on the road on Saturday was better statistically in every single category than LSU's was on the road when the year they won the national championship. So you'd like to have a better start obviously uh, and a yeah. couple of those plays back but on the whole in college football these days that's 
That's a above average performance on the road. That's a solid road performance. And how how lucky was WVU? They fumbled three times, only lost one of them. Yeah, yeah. And could have and should have lost a well, couple others. Th- th- that's one of those random event things that I talked about in my article. You know, there, there's some things in football games that you can't control. And Tech, honestly, against UNC might have got away with a couple of random events with like. Uh, the original call on the field is called an interception, and you can't overturn it. There's not enough yeah. video evidence. Uh, well, if, to, if, if you'd call the Chamori Connor interception incomplete, then maybe or, you can't overturn that either, and, and UNC keeps the ball. Or Tavion Robinson's so, in, in the zone. end. That, 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 that's, 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 that's where I'm getting at. That's the same thing. I think uh, if they had ru- ruled that pass complete, I don't think there would have been enough video evidence to, to overturn it. And yeah. there's an extra touchdown for yeah. Tech and a six-point loss. And I think that's where the field turf there at West Virginia throws off the ref. And I don't, I don't know if how many people have ever walked on a field turf field before. But if you, if you, if you go to Virginia Tech Fan Day next year in the indoor practice facility, uh-huh. pay attention to the field in there. It's field turf, and in field turf, there's these little pellets. These little and, black and pellets. You see it at like Tampa Bay in baseball when somebody gets a yes. base hit to the outfield. You see them fly up. Yeah, yeah, and and I think what happened on that play is you know Tavion's gloves, his hands made those pellets fly up, which which made the ref think the ball had hit the ground. And he called it incomplete. Yeah. And that was my initial thought watching it, too. I saw the pellets fly right. up, and I said, that one bounced in. He trapped right. it. Right. Yeah. But and looking I, at the replay, it looked like he got the hands I under I thought it. he did. I mean, I don't know for a fact Hard either way. Say. So, like, I'm not, I'm not angry at the ref for getting yeah. the call possibly wrong because the they, pellet they, thing they, throws it off. But I'm just giving an example of a random event during a game uh, that could so, go either so way. So, a random event yeah. during a game. Uh, it was it Garbett that came in and, and knocked the ball yeah. out of Daggy's hands? Bounce, bounce, bounce. Tisdale picks it up. Tisdale picked it up, right? Yeah. And there's two WVU players right there. Yeah. How often do you see that play where a linebacker catches it off the bounce and there's nobody in front? Right. Yep. Open lane to the end zone. Yeah. Looking at the defense, six quarter or six halves of football so far for Justin Hamilton this season. In that one half, first half against West Virginia, he gave up 24 points. The other five combined, he's given up 27, and seven of those was on a a garbage time touchdown against middle Tennessee. So yeah, with the backups, you would have to feel pretty good about where this defense is heading. You just got to make sure you don't get into a 14, nothing hole like you did against West Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the most important thing. I think, I, mean, I think he's acquitted himself. Well, he's fine. so he's far. Done fine. Yeah. Um, I yeah. mean, I, I, I find it hard to imagine that like for, for whatever money, tech has to spend on coordinators and coaches that they could have got, gone outside the program and found somebody who would have done a better job. Well, I think that's I fair. mean, I think he's done a good job. I mean, he's, he's shown the ability that he can come up with a, a unique scheme. Uh, now, some of it, you have to have the right matchups to be able to do this, but he was able to come up with a unique steam, scheme to beat UNC. And, you know, he was able to make in-game adjustments against West Virginia. And that's what you want out of your defensive coordinator. I, I, I would ask him one question, though. You know, what's, what's up with the Amari Barno situation? How yeah. can you get him productive again? Right. Two straight games without even an assist. Right. Zero tackles for two straight games. You just don't see that. And and this is a guy who's playing forty or fifty snaps a game. Right. Um, so that that's kind of baffling and and what's up there. Well, and especially yeah. coming off a game we had three and a half tackles for loss yeah. against North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was he was like ACC player of the week by by most people that picked those things. Yeah. Uh, you know, it could be two one of two things. It could be he's just not playing well or he could be hurt and is playing through an injury. So I don't want to say I hope he's hurt. 
because <laughs> <laughs> I hope he's not. I hope he's hurting. He gets healthy today. He, right. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I didn't watch him much, but there were a few plays where I watched him and he just got swallowed up by the tackle, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah, he, he doesn't look like to me that he's playing as strong as he did last year. Like last year, he actually surprised me because I thought he played stronger at the point of attack than I expected him yep, to. Same here. And but he doesn't seem to be doing that this year. So, yeah. I, and and despite the fact that he added ten pounds. Yeah, and 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 there there were a couple of times where he almost made a play, like he was coming at Daggy like a freight train on one play in particular that I remember where he looped around and came down the middle but didn't get there on time. Mm. So, All right, Well, I want to look big picture here. After a lot of NFL games, they'll say it's overreaction Monday. I felt like that was yesterday. You look through Twitter, it was overreaction I Sunday. I get to take this one. <laughs> um, Virginia Tech is 2-1 and one with a close loss on the road against a Power 5 team, 1-0 and oh in the in ACC play. Is this still a team that everybody should feel good about and not overreact to one loss? So uh, I can probably talk about that for a while. Um, they, they missed an opportunity to change the narrative. You know, there, there are several uh, things that have popped up before. In isolation, no, not a big deal. Let, let's see what happens from here. But there are several things that have popped up before. The whole concept of not being ready to play. And that's, that's an affliction that strikes a lot of college football teams. It is a little baffling to me that you're you're in a packed house with a ton of energy, and at the beginning of the game, West Virginia's coming at you, and you look like you're not ready for it. But I talked about that earlier. Um, <clears throat> Justin Fuente has this talent for, or it seems to happen to him. He makes decisions in game that I don't think appear to be bad decisions. Um, I'm I'm kind of a if I was a coach I'd be kind of aggressive with the fourth down thing. In isolation, I don't question his decision to uh, go for it on after that jet sweep to the boundary. He went for it on fourth and goal from out there, and Tech didn't pick it up. But at the end of the game, they wind up being the wrong decisions. Kick, assuming your field goal kicker can make it, which is a whole other discussion. If you do kick that field goal, then later you only have to kick a field goal. So when you add it up at the end, calling the timeout when, when Liberty's getting a field goal blocked. These things that, that, that like in isolation, they don't look like bad decisions, but they just bite they him just in the butt. They just turn out to be. You know, yeah. and, and so that, that criticism keeps happening. Oh, he makes these terrible in-game decisions. Well, not really. They it's just, a good decision if it works. Like, so that's, far, they're just adding I, up wrong. I mean, I would have gone for it on fourth and one. <laughs> I, I would now my issue isn't the decision itself, it's it, or even necessarily the play call itself. But like, if you do have a quarterback with an injured shoulder, you probably don't want to run him in a power behind Tyrell Smith. Uh, just, you know? I'm, I'm one of you, those. You, you yeah. put in Bloomrick and you run it behind your two best run blockers. Um, I, so that's, that, I'm, that's. I'm one of those football observers that cannot stand on fourth and one when you're in the shotgun and you got to run six yards to pick up one. And, you know, it's I'm I know that's how football is. Are you, are you telling me you can't get that guy under center? You can't get somebody under center and do it old school they never, like ever. 
Well, you, they don't practice under center snaps anymore. I, I don't care. I mean, think about it. You're a college coach. Maybe you want to run more under center stuff. You're evaluating all your quarterbacks from film, which one you're going to offer, and you're all of a sudden you're looking at all their tape, and like not one of them has ever taken an under center snap before. But you can argue <laughs> you can argue that there ought to be five minutes of practice where you pull Connor Blumrick aside and you practice him under center taking snaps. Yes. So here's the thing. I, I know why they. I know why coaches do it. They're like, we never run out of under center. We don't want to make a mistake. Well, I tell you what, coach. On fourth and one, if you line up with Connor Blumrick under center and he fumbles the snap. I'm. I promise I won't criticize that. <laughs> I promise. But the whole we got to run six yards to pick up one, and our quarterback weighs two hundred five pounds. Who's doing it? Hey, you know, it, it's well. In a lot of those situations, it's short yardage, fourth down. We saw the Hokies in those a couple of times, and usually it's like the two point conversion. You have your best play for that one yeah. because you need to score or get the first down. It didn't seem like those were the Hokies best plays that they put out there. I, th I think that's a, that's a fair statement. Uh, we uh, fairly or unfairly fans expect the coach to pull a rabbit out of a hat on fourth down. Ooh, you got, you got a list you've been saving coach. You know, I know you do. And, to run up the middle of the shotgun can't be on that list. You know? that, I think that's what everybody was kind of thinking. But Like, that's the best you got? Well, yes. Yeah. Well, you know, to, and like I said, I'm not an X's and O's guy. To me, it's about picking what personnel to use in what situation. And, and, and that, right, that's right. also a lot of the I, like, I, I think the whole shotgun versus under center thing, I think it, they cancel each other out because under shotgun you have momentum. You, you pile right into the line on, on momentum. If you have a bigger quarterback, that especially matters. Um, so that's, to me, uh, if Burmeister can't generate quite so much power in his shoulder, if it's hurt, then you put in Bloomrick, who's bigger anyway, and then you run it behind Lasita Smith and not – Well, the counterargument to that is you get under center, you submarine their defensive lineman, and your quarterback just bulldozes ahead. You know, that's how they used to do it old school. It's a freaking yard. It doesn't <laughs> matter. You should pick it up either way. That that's was Fuente's quote after the game. He was like, he was mad. He was like, you telling me we can't put up, pick up a freaking yard? I mean, I mean, it's a yard. Look, it doesn't matter what play you call. Right. It's a that, yard. That's great. I didn't hear that one. Sorry. That's yeah. great. He said, I don't care what we're doing. We should be able to pick up a yard. Yeah, right. And he's right. Yeah. Uh, well, I just, looking at the first three games of the season, I think for many Virginia Tech fans, if you told them, You'll be 2-1 with a win over a top-10 North Carolina team, a close loss to West Virginia, and just outside the rankings after three weeks. I feel like at the beginning of the season, a lot of people would have taken that, but that doesn't seem like that's the I, I don't, mindset right yeah, now. Yeah, well, it's whenever you start off with a big win, that's the danger you fall into is, is the expectations yeah, go up, right? And but, I, but, and I, but I think, uh, I mean, I think if, you'd, if you would have asked – the vast, vast majority of Virginia Tech fans before the season, what would Tech's record be after three games? They would have said either two and one or one and two. Yeah. I, and we're 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 two and one. And like, and, uh, Tech has won the game they were favored in, and they're one and one in the games that they were underdogs. Yeah. Um, so to me, the the bigger issue is the injury that are piling yes. up. That's, yeah, that's, that's, and that's another that's thing. True. That's another thing that repeats itself yes. is you're three and four games in and you're getting dinged up. So you go back to that Carolina game where Virginia Tech was the aggressor. And I don't even remember anybody limping off the field at any point in that game for Virginia Tech. And the two games since then, you've had guys – like I, I think I think Middle Tennessee put four guys on the turf for Virginia yeah. Tech. And, and, I, and I complained about this at the beginning of the 2019 season when they went up to play B.C., 
And and one dude for BC who was like 5'11", 180, sent three tech guys off the field. Well, that was Greg great for Middle Tennessee. He got Braxton and James Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. and and so you know, then that one didn't hurt, help Braxton's shoulder. Either. I doubt it. Inch, right. Either. Yeah. yeah, whatever's going on there. Because that was his throwing shoulder that got stung. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, looking ahead for Virginia Tech, next four games are at home with a bye week in there. You're one and zero in the ACC. You've got. Pitt, who didn't look great against Western Michigan this week. Syracuse, who seems to be kind of at the bottom of the ACC coming up. So it seems like there still should be a lot of optimism from the, for this team, at least for the next month or so, where you do not have to leave Blacksburg until, what, late October? And, and then you got to leave it a lot. Um, yes. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, that's that's the thing. It's like you're 2-1. and one. You're, I don't know, sound like you know Beamer used to and say you're one block away. But, I mean, that third down play on the goal line, if – if the block's not blown on the left side of the line, then we're probably sitting here talking about how we're three and zero, and how awesome it was. Right? That they yeah, came back. we've beaten Carolina and West Virginia in two of our first three games. I mean, and, and it's no wonder the helmets say grit. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, you're right. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe yeah, that's like why the, I was mistaking win the, and loss on the intro. The, 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 the miracle, the miracle in Morgantown part two. Right. Um, yeah. But it's you know, it. So like, there's no re. Like I don't, I don't have any different feelings about the program today than I did. Two days ago, three days ago, or whatever. Um, I don't have any different feelings about where the season might or might not go. We, we've always known we're a team that you know would have to scrap it out, and things. The difference between going seven and five and nine and three could come down to critical injuries and random events and turnovers and th- at the wrong time and things like that. Yeah, and uh, you know, right now the injuries are going against Tech. You, I think the random events have maybe evened out. They maybe cost Virginia Tech the West Virginia game with the Tavion touchdown, and they maybe helped win them the game against against North Carolina. Um, so we'll see how it goes from here. The, the one thing is, like, the Coastal Division, I mean, just as soon as you think Pitt looks like a good football team, they lose at home to Western Michigan. Right, give up forty some points right. doing it, or right. was it fifty some? Yeah, forty four, forty one. Yeah, you know. Carolina can really score, but they don't really stop anybody either. Well, and Virginia Tech same, has the tiebreaker with North Carolina. Right. Right. Like, same thing for Virginia. I mean, did North Carolina ever punt the other night? If they did, it was really, really late after I stopped paying attention. <laughs> so, so, so if that's the case, then that's eight straight quarters of football that UVA hasn't forced a North Carolina punt. Wow. Wow. I mean – you, I mean, UVA fans are after their offensive coordinator a lot. The guy they ought to be after is their defensive coordinator. Yeah, they, what did they score, 39 points, 38, 39? Yeah, I mean, that's la- enough. That's crazy. 300-some yards passing in the first half. <laughs> that, 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 that should be enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, there, there's Every team has weaknesses. Um, ultimately, I do think Carolina will prove, because of Sam Howell and the explosiveness of their offense, like even though they lost that first game to Virginia Tech, like I would not bet against them winning the coastal. But yeah, not at this. Point. But 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 at the same time, Virginia Tech is a game up, yeah. you know, with the tiebreaker. Um, and there's a, a familiarity bias when everybody looks at their own team and they're like, "Oh my God, we're weak here, we're weak there, we we we, we stink here. How are we ever going to win any games?" And Guess what? The Pitt fans are also saying, oh, my God, how are we, how are we going to win We've got games? Kenny Pickett. How can we <laughs> yeah, lose right, to it? Right, Kenny Pickett's right. 90 years old and has been playing quarterback every 15 yeah, years. Yeah. How can we so lose to Western Michigan? Every single team 
can nitpick point uh, weaknesses on their team. For Carolina, I think it's pure just toughness and not a just not a smash mouth approach to football. For UVA, it's I just don't think UVA has much talent on defense. Um, for Pitt, it's uh, yeah, that, that's they gave up what forty one to. Uh, to Western Michigan, and then the week before that, they gave up 34 to Tennessee, and Tennessee's not a very good football team, in my opinion. So, to me, it just seems like Pitt's defense isn't good this year. Um, Miami, I mean, they can just point to their the fact that they're Miami, yeah, and yeah. they're just going to lose football games randomly. Miami's like they, a box of chocolates. should be 0-3 right, right, right now. Right. Uh, oh, so, so. Duke, Duke, is, Duke is Duke. Duke can only win a football game when Northwestern turns it over five times, and it's still only a seven-point game. Um, so got, there's just a whole – everybody's got holes, and you just have to see how it works out. So here's some interesting things I picked up off of Twitter last night. I'm sorry, I don't remember which account it is, but uh, let's see. We're looking at uh, ACC conference leaders uh, in passing. Uh, Braxton Burmeister is 10th. That, that's not a surprise. That's right. Derek King is right below him. Let's <laughs> see. Burmeister had uh, – eh, how is this sorted? This is sorted by rating, not yards. Right. Oh, yeah. He has to be last in yards. Um, yeah. Or it is not. No, I, I don't know how this is sorted. I'm going to stop talking about well, yeah. It's yards per attempt. Okay. So Braxton Burmeister is 10th in yards per attempt. Derek King is 11th. I, I didn't see their game against Alabama or Michigan State, but I watched them play against Appalachian State, and their receivers couldn't do jack against Appalachian yeah, State. And, and, and DJ Uyunglele of Clemson is last in yards per attempt. So. And then there's another cool thing. So here is we, so I like to talk about you know how many big plays are you making, and uh, 2021 ACC leaders long scrimmage plays, and it's sorted by the number of plays offenses have that are 10 plus yards. Who's which team is leading the ACC in plays of over 10 yards? UVA. I, I saw this one. Yep. Virginia. No, you saw it. UVA. You guys. I, I didn't see it. I was just guessing. <laughs> UNC is second. Um, Virginia Tech is 13th. And Clemson is last. Yeah, Clemson's last. In three games, Clemson has 32 plays at 10-plus yards. Tech has 39. They had less than 300 yards against Georgia Tech. Yeah, I mean, Cle- how could Clemson possibly do that? They barely Clemson escaped. Clemson fell to number nine, that which, is, looking is, scary. Well, which is very low for uh, which I and, and quite frankly, like I'm not sure. I would feel better maybe about playing Clemson right now than I would West Virginia because Clemson, they can't move the football. Yeah. They just can't do it. So, Nick, are you watching David Cunningham's Twitter feed? Yes, they're quite quite they're, entertaining. Yes. Uh, so, how about how about Fuente on the Hokies inside the ten yard line? You got that one up? Yeah. He opened up the press conference, said he rewatched the film, and he said, "Yeah, we stunk on offense. <laughs> about Very red zone offense." And then he also talked about Johnsy, uh, and he says he has no idea who's going to play right tackle. He said Clements was hurt last week in practice. Mm. Uh, and did not travel to West Virginia. So he wasn't even an option. Okay. Yeah, no. Yeah, so he there. has no idea who's going to play this week for that, uh, waiting to see. They still don't have an injury update on uh, on Johnsy. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. One thing I want to get to before we get to YouTube questions, we talked a lot about the fans at West Virginia, but from all, from all I've heard, they were a little more hospitable this this weekend. Maybe it would have been different if Tech had scored on that last possession. We, we, we got a text from Richie Davis. He was like, their fans are awesome. We had a great time. We yeah. should play them all the time. <laughs> and, and that's the general consensus we're getting from people on our message boards who went to the game. Is yes. that their fans were fine, and there's no reason to not play the game. So I mean, I, look, I, everybody has a bad moment. Like, 
it was that was a very emotional time in 2003. Uh, uh, I spent we spent. God, when did that start up? The whole expansion process started when when, when it Trang- started in April okay, when Trangizi Trang- went to, to the, the New York Post, I think, right. and said they're trying to steal and, their team. And, and it, it was two months of two and a half months, two and a half months of just pure agony. Yeah. And for most of that two and a half months, we thought. Virginia Tech was going to get left behind in the Big East, and we were going to end up in something like Conference USA. We we were terrified about the future of the program. Yeah, and so, we didn't get left, and and West Virginia did. did. And so at that point, they were terrified about the future of their program, and they blamed us. And I can understand why they would blame yeah, us, yeah. especially after Charles Steger came out and said, we would not accept an invitation to the ACC right now, even if offered. And then sure enough, we did. Right? Like the old Eddie Murphy uh, line, too bad we can't stay. Right, and, 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 that, and, and that's why school presidents, that's an example of, you know, that whole thing is probably taught in some PR class somewhere for athletic directors and school presidents. Don't do interviews because you're going to end up saying something like that. Oh, and, my gosh. Yeah, so, yeah. so John Swafford in the ACC, speaking of class, John Swafford in the ACC gave a master class in how not to expand your conference. Right. And he learned from that. Yeah. They had these bylaws they had to follow where they had to visit the campuses and things like that. So it was this very – you guys, you, you weren't there. It was this very public thing that just dragged out for weeks on end. And, and these days – Hey, Texas and Oklahoma are going to the SEC, and three days later, it's done. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. You don't hear a thing. And and even Swafford became Ninja Swafford after a while, where he would yeah. take Pitt and Syracuse and Louisville, <laughs> yeah. and you wouldn't know about it till he was driving away with him in the truck. <laughs> yeah, so, like, West Virginia back then, I mean, that was a tough situation for everybody. And I was at the Pitt game in 2003, and it was the same thing. Their fans yeah. were really bad. But I can't imagine after two decades, like – like they're still in a Power Five conference. Uh, the longer you get away from an event, the more your emotions cool. Like, heck, you even look at message boards. Like, let's say you lose a well, you lose a football game this week. Our message boards are calmer on Monday than they were on Saturday, right? Because yeah. people have they've had time to cool down. They're, they're not drinking, which a lot of them are during a game. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, Sometimes you just need time, and I think plenty of time has gone by on that. And my, like I said, my last run-ins with West Virginia fan were in Charlotte at a West Virginia bar and in D.C., and they were all great. Yeah, so so maybe it's time to put that to bed. But, you know, the, these, the thing about a reputation is that you can build a reputation immediately, but it takes a, a, yeah. uh, it takes a long time to change yeah. that. And so uh, – and if you, if you think about West Virginia, yes, they were – in air quotes, terrified in 2003. Well, four years later, they had a chance to play for a national championship, yeah. and it was their fault that they didn't. It wasn't right. anybody else. Anybody else's. I mean, even the referees did all they could to help. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so they've been through some stuff, and there's time and perspective there. Well, they should set up a great rematch next year in Lane Stadium with the Hokies. And, and West Mountain Virginia is. hasn't been nearly as good on the road as they have yes. been at home. All right. So. Yeah. All right, well, it's time to dive into some YouTube questions, unless there's more updates from Justin Fuente's presser. Nick, what you got over there? Uh, the main one was from, I hope I'm saying this right, Mr. Shabazz. He said, what is the main weakness with the offense, whether that's quarterback play, wide receivers, or play calling? Like it's, it's the passing game. Yeah. Um, As a whole. Yeah, yeah. Some, some things are adding up. And, and, and I think uh, – 
I think we're going to be limited in how much the passing game can improve. I mean, I, as, as I've said, I, I have not seen the progression of our wide receivers since Holman Wiggins left. Yeah. I've not seen our guys improve all that much, which worries me for the future because I do like Payute. I do like Dwayne Lofton and Jalen Jones. But if they improve at the rate of Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson, then we're, we're not going to end up yeah. liking them very yeah. much. So that, that – for somehow needs to be addressed. Whatever the issue is, there needs to be addressed. But that's probably an off. That's an off season thing rather than the middle of the season thing. Yeah. The, the the best way for Virginia Tech to improve their offense, yes, I think they need to get better in the passing game. Is the best way for them to improve their offense, in my opinion, is by improving the running game. And by improving the running game, it means you have to. Burmeister has to keep the ball in the rebound. He's, he's a weapon. You I mean, know, and yeah, and the, he's get. I mean, he's taking so much contact anyway that I, and I know you, you don't. You play the percentages and everything like that. No, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't go out there and run him a bunch against Richmond, for goodness sake. Right, but and maybe not against Syracuse. Well, he doesn't need to practice running the read option. He already is he are, really good yeah, at it. Right, right. So right. right, you're right. You can save that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think. I think that's the quickest way to get better offensively. Well, and if Braxton Burmeister is a little bit banged up, maybe hopefully not playing the whole game against Richmond and then a bye week gets you ready for Notre Dame. Maybe he's feeling better that he could pull the read off. What what was the score of the Notre Dame game this past weekend? I know they won. They won 27 to 14. Who did they play? 27 to 13. Who did they play, Nick? Purdue. Purdue. So they're not blowing the doors off people. Yeah. So... Opportunity. There's another opportunity. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. What else you got over the neck? Uh, what's uh, this is the last one. You guys basically answered all the other ones that I've been reading through. But this is a big one right here. What is the deal with the first half and the last two games? You know, start and, sluggish against Middle Tennessee, and then pretty darn sluggish against West Virginia. And who asked that question? Do you ever written down? TK Cali. TKK Cali. Oh, okay. Some just username. I, I yeah, it's weird because the the North Carolina game, Tech was ready, and and I, and I thought Cornelson's very first possession was was fantastic. The wheel route, and he he really had UNC back on their heels. He certainly seemed to have energy. Yeah, um, of course. But how how does that work? Like, does it seem like you have energy because you make the plays, or are you making the plays because you have energy? Well, maybe it gets back to what I said about they're they're coming at you and throwing downfield, and you're dinking over to the sidelines and running jet sweeps. Well, that was that was that was our first play against UNC, though. It was a wide receiver screen. You know, well, I didn't like it then. A a wide receiver screen (laughs) and then a running play. I'm just saying. I never like it. Uh, um, You know, that's that's. if Justin Fuente and his staff can't answer that question, how can we? It's true, you know. But but it it is, and and we sit here and we watch our. We say this all the time. We sit here and we watch our own team. Well, you know, other teams have that problem too of just not coming out being ready. Sometimes. Well, like I said, it's a familiarity bias. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so I, like I, I read some somebody said something. I don't know this for a fact, but I read it on the board. You know how we always talk about, you know, Tech doesn't beat any top ten teams or something like that. And it was some kind of crazy stat about, like, Auburn only has, like, one road win over a top ten team in 40 years something, or something, something insane, insane like, that. like that. And you would think Auburn would have done that more often as yep. many times as you get a chance to do it in the SEC. But And having been in two national championship right. games in the last couple decades. Yeah. so. 
Well, if, if that's it for YouTube questions over there. There's one more uh, Fuente quote. He said, we got our butts whipped at the point of attack. That's what it looked like, yeah. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, throw, I'll comment on that. I think uh, I, I think Tech's returning offensive linemen haven't played as well as they're capable of playing. Um, I, I think uh, the Middle Tennessee game, Tech was pretty vanilla, um, but I also think that disguised to a certain extent that I don't think our guys are playing to their physical capabilities. I think Janzy is, and that's the sad part that they lost Janzy, is he's actually been Tech's highest-grading offensive lineman this year. He was their highest-grading lineman in his 19 plays or whatever against West Virginia, and overall on the season he's their highest-grading offensive lineman. And I don't think Brock Hoffman's been as good. His snaps haven't been as good. Uh, and I'm just counting his performance at right tackle because I don't think that was a yeah, fair no, situation no. to him. But I don't think he's been as good as he was last year. I don't think Luke Tenuta is playing anywhere near as capable uh, as well as he's capable of playing. Um, I think for the most part, Lasita Smith is doing fine. But I think it, it. I think the fact that the two guys that he are on his left and right that aren't playing as well as they should be, it's making him look look worse than than he actually is. Um, so. They got to get. I don't know. I don't know if that's the whole reading your press clippings, which I don't guess is accurate anymore because there are no press clippings. <laughs> reading about yourself on social media too much. Reading your Instagram uh, comments. Or, or right. Or oh my God, well, our whole position group got an NIL deal. Woohoo! And now we can't block anybody. Nah. Uh, Derek King gets a NIL deal, and now he can't throw the football. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> He's I mean, not earning his money. Sam, yeah. DJ Uyongale in a Dr. Pepper commercial. Uh, and now he's the worst quarterback in the ACC. I mean, in terms of yards per attempt. In terms of yards per attempt. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think the quickest way to improve the offense is our, we know that those offensive linemen that I just mentioned are capable of playing can play better. better yeah. Um, and we know that Braxton Burmeister is capable of making the right decisions on the read option. So what we don't know is – I think I do know it, but we, we just haven't seen our receivers in pr- progress since 2018, right. in my opinion. So, like, I think the likelihood of them – of the light just coming on and our passing game magically getting better and our guys getting separation and things like that, I don't think that's likely. And combine that with – a quarterback who's maybe got a banged up throwing shoulder i just think we if the if the linemen if those older linemen start playing to their physical capabilities and we unshackle burmeister a little bit in the read option i think we have a better chance to improve in the running and i think there's another piece to that puzzle uh don't don't pretend as if james mitchell is the only tight end that could be productive in the right, passing right. game you know uh i've I, We've seen some of Gallo in the passing game. I've seen him open and not be thrown to. I've seen him catch some passes. <laughs> Dulius had a nice play. play. Yeah, that you was a wheel I mean? route. Now, now, Dulius is a guy that comes to mind. Um, if you remember, Virginia Tech pulled his red shirt briefly in 2017. At, at BC. As a, as a red zone target. Yeah. And uh, in particular, I think they were interested in throwing him the fade because he's a really tall guy. So, yeah. to me, if you were interested in doing that when he was a true freshman... Mark this moment, Chris Coleman's uh, calling it. Then, then that, might should, shot. That, that might should be one of your <laughs> options now. So, so after he scores two red zone touchdowns... <laughs> against, against Richmond. Against Notre Dame, <laughs> oh, okay. we're, we're going to slice this clip up and say, Chris Coleman said this September That's 20th. how we'll uh, start the podcast. We're just going to throw that on to start. Right, right. Give him give him his, uh, his congratulations. I hope it comes to that. <laughs> All right. 
All right. So, any closing thoughts from you guys before we get out of here? I think we we've covered pretty much everything from the West Virginia game. Yeah. Yep. I covered it. So, for my article today, I'm going to look at Tech's uh, red zone statistics from the last few years um, and sorting like like when they're in the uh, well when they're in the red zone. How often do they score touchdowns? How often do they score field goals? Where did that rank? And I don't know what I'm going to find. I don't have an agenda, yeah. but I, I do think that Tech's red zone performance just hasn't been that bad. You know, yeah. it, it well, it's against, been bad this year, but in general, exactly speaking, in yeah. the past, in general, yeah. it hasn't been a recurring problem across. Right. Yeah. So, so I'm going to work on that for my article today. And it's my my Monday articles are getting in some some days they're they're hard. Like I'm not really sure what all I'm going to write about today. I think you know Chris's article yesterday was outstanding and. Um, you know, I'll, I'll see what angles I can find, but I definitely know I'm going to write about that. Chris, anything else coming up the next couple of days on Tech Sideline? Our normal stuff, man. Well, normal I guess stuff. Brandon Patterson will send me an article. Our normal awesome stuff. Yeah. Let's go. Yep. Uh, preview won't be as long this week because we don't know as much about Richmond. Yeah. 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 And I always like to mention Jack Brizendine behind the scenes. He'll have Tech Talk Live notes. So now that the basketball schedule is out, the wrestling schedule generally follows pretty quickly. So... Jack, keep your eyes peeled for that and get ready to write about the wrestling schedule. Yes. Basketball schedule came out quickly before we get out of here. Uh, oh, so they're going on the road to UNC and Duke over Christmas. Staggering Christmas. Yeah, it's 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 a favorable schedule from the standpoint that I don't think UNC, Duke, or UVA is coming during Christmas break like they usually do. Well, Tech uh, has – We do have three home games while students are gone. But, but there, the week in February that stood out to me was, I believe it's Syracuse, UVA, UNC, all in Castle within eight days of each wow. other. Wow. Yeah. So that could be a big week. Yeah, that could be. Um, there's a big Monday against UVA, right? I believe, yeah. Uh, uh, on on Valentine's Day. The 14th, yes. Yeah, it's on yeah. Valentine's Day. Um, so I think it's Syracuse Saturday, UVA Monday, and that, then UNC the next Saturday. 20 ACC games and then – an upgraded non-conference schedule. Yes. There is going to be a lot of very, very competitive games. The this preseason yeah. NIT, believe Tech will face Memphis. The, the, yeah, the, uh, and who's going to be preseason top 10 because of the return of Nolly. Yeah. Yes, Landers um, Nolly's yep. revenge game. Um, and they're, and they're yeah. recruiting well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so, and we also can't uh, slip by without mentioning uh, Patrick Wessler. Yes. yes. Virginia Tech getting a... feet tall, 250 pounds. I believe David Cunningham tweeted... However long it's been, four seven-foot players on Virginia Tech's roster in two decades or something like that. List so. of Virginia Tech players 7-0 <laughs> or taller since joining the ACC. Robert Cromendom, who really wasn't your, your big bulky center. And I, I don't even know. Was he listed at seven feet when he got to Tech or just when he signed? I, I don't know that something exactly. Like I think uh, he was listed at seven feet at Tech, but I don't know. Satchel Pierce. Satchel Pierce, who uh, Buzz brought Satchel with him from Marquette, right? <laughs> that, that's hilarious. He was on that first Buzz he, Williams. Yeah, he team. was on that first recruiting class. He, like he decommitted uh, in the same same class as Ahmed Hill. Oh, yeah. it was it was hilarious one time at a post game press conference. He was asked about Satchel Pierce, and and he, you know Satchel wasn't developing. Satchel just wasn't very good. But Buzz believed in him, thought he was developable, and. And Buzz's wife would always come to the press conferences. And Buzz goes, man, my wife tells me all the time that Satchel Pierce isn't any good. <laughs> and she was she was so embarrassed, but uh, she was right. She uh, was right. It's <laughs> true. Johnny Hamilton, yes. who uh, later transferred out. Well, know? well, yeah, he went to like UT San Antonio. Well, he had a good career there, and he actually plays professionally overseas. Oh, good. Yeah. 
And then the fourth is Patrick Wessler from 2022. So, so that Krabbendam was 04 to 07. Pierce was 14 to 16. Hamilton was 15 to 17. And then uh, Wessler's 2022. 7.0, 2.50, is that right? Large I saw 235 on 247, but who knows when the last time these guys No, we've were. got him listed as 235. Yeah. But, I mean, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> well, in the middle of football season, sometimes that stuff can get lost between the cracks, but glad yeah. we uh, we mentioned it. Schedule came out for men's basketball for ACC games, and then Patrick Wessler commits to the Hokies as well. I believe that's going to do it for episode 192 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. I want to thank Will Stewart across the way. You can find him at... at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter, our founder and general manager to my left, Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist. You can find him at Chris Coleman TSL. Behind the scenes, always a great job for Malcolm Stewart, the best producer in the land. Nick Brown over here keeping us up to date on Justin Fuente's press conference as well as YouTube questions. And I'm Jake Lyman, your host. That'll do it for episode 192 of the Tech Sideline podcast presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. We're going to get out of here, but we'll be back later on this week to preview Richmond as the Hokies look to bounce back from their loss to West Virginia. We hope you have a great start to your week, Hokies fans. We'll see you next time.